This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. You are tuned into the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are continuing short miniseries on other people's holidays. So at the Constructionists, we encourage a worldview that is built on the principles of Christ. And in this episode, we're concluding our series on other people's holidays with the Vedic holidays. We started with Jew- Jewish holidays, then continue with Islamic holidays, and now tonight, the Vedics. So we desire to do this through a clear and honest lens. Next week, we are starting a six-week series on ruining the Bible as we talk about old stories of the Old Testament and a few of the new, and we give some new perspectives that may go against what you have learned on your flannel graphs in Sunday school. So by doing so, we hope to offer insights and perspectives that will help you in your own journey towards a greater understanding love and compassion for yourself and others. So we want to assure you that in tonight's episode, we're not fabricating anything. We are giving information and ideas. We're going to point you to some more information. And if we guess, we're going to tell you we're guessing. Our goal is to provide an honest and authentic perspective on our examination of tonight, other people's holidays. So this is our thinking space where we're presenting thoughts, and tonight we are making our best attempt to explain very practical thoughts to live by. So if you enjoy the Constructionist podcast and want to support us financially, please follow the link in the chat or the show notes on the social media platform that you're listening to and visit our Give page. So your support will enable us to continue producing high-quality content like this. But even more importantly, we want to hear from you, we want to engage with you, and we believe that through our interactions and discussions, discussions with listeners like you, we can continue to learn, we can continue to grow together. And we value your feedback, your questions, and your ideas. So send us a direct message, send us a message, send us an email. We're excited to build a community around our shared exploration and build a communal hermeneutic. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us and let us know what you think. So tonight, Sharia. Thanks for joining us. Jake, thanks for joining us. What we're going to do first is we are going to do a little bit of a recap. And that recap is just to get us caught up. If you missed uh, the last couple of uh, podcasts, we talked about Jewish holidays. We talked about Islamic holidays. But now we're going to move out of a very... Um, specific religious group, the Abrahamic monotheists, and we're going to move into a different category of religion, well, called or birthed out of the ancient Vedic religion, the historical Vedic religion. And so those are the Hindus and the Buddhists. Traditionally, that's what we're going to cover, just those two tonight. So, Sharia, why don't you start with our recap? What do Jews celebrate? And Jake, you're going to continue with what do Muslims celebrate? We want to know about other people's holidays. Okay, so there are um, six major Jewish holidays. There's a couple of minor holidays too, but we didn't talk about those a couple weeks ago, and I'm not going to do that tonight either. Um, The first one um, that we looked at was the winter holiday. This is 
Hanukkah or the Festival of Lights, which commemorates um, the revolution led by um, Judah the Maccabee to drive the Greeks out of Israel and to reclaim the temple. Mm. There was a miracle with um, the olive oil for the lights in the temple lasting eight days when there was only a single day supply. Um, and so this holiday celebrates that miracle of light. There's also the festival of Purim in the spring, and this celebrates uh, the story of Esther, the salvation of the Jewish people from Haman's plot um, through the actions of Mordecai and Esther. We also have the Passover Seder festival, which celebrates the Exodus story. It's a story of liberation um, and um, a celebration of finding ourselves in that story of liberation so that others are able to be liberated as well. Hmm. The next one is Rosh Hashanah. This is Jewish New Year. It's one of the high holidays celebrated by the blowing of the shofar in the morning, um, candle lighting and feasts on um, challah bread and other sweet foods. Ten I, days I after blow that shafar, they actually get out with a horn, mm -hmm. a ram's they, horn. Yeah, ram's horn, and they, yeah, wow. <laughs> Want to do that one day? So ten days later is Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. This is the holiest holiday in the Jewish calendar. It involves a fast, um, as a, a self denial. Um, it remembers when Moses descended the mountain after the golden calf incident. Um, so pleading with God and Israel's sins are forgiven. Um, historically, the priest would offer incense in the Holy of Holies on this day. Um, and then five days after that is the festival of Sukkot or the festival of booths, which commemorates the journey from Egypt to the promised land. Nice. Now, what I wonder a little bit about Jewish holidays is, are most of the holidays about liberation? Or many of them? Like, is that is that focused on liberation? I don't think I know enough to answer that for certain. Okay. But I do think you could argue that based on the stories that are being remembered. Mm -hmm. And the two main ones definitely are. You mean Passover right. and Yom Kippur? Right. Passover, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, even Hanukkah even like as well. The, what did you say? Even Hanukkah as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Shreya. That just kind of gets us caught up to the first Abrahamic faith. Now, now know that Christianity... Uh, or Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, historically in that order, are considered the Abrahamic faiths, the religions that come from Abraham as the father of many nations in the Old Testament, in uh, in the Torah. So, so th that's the, I guess, the lineage, you could say, of religions in the Abrahamic. Now, they're considered monotheists. Monotheism is and encompasses many other religions as well. So we focus on the Abrahamic, and of course other people's holidays is gonna be other people besides like Christian. Um, 
were focused on their holidays. So very specifically the Abrahamic, but just know that like Baha'i and Zoroastrianism and there's different Abra excuse me, there's different monotheistic religions out there that would be under the same umbrella category as Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. But we just took the two, probably the, the mega religions that people think monotheist. When they think monotheist, they think the three mega religions. Um, just like in the Vedics, we think Buddhism and Hinduism, you know, are the mega, the mega dominant religions in that category as well. All right, Jake, let's let's talk about just a little bit of recap on Islam, the Muslims. What do what do they what do they celebrate? The two main holidays. One is the breaking of the fast of Ramadan, which is Eid al Fitr, and that's just a massive party. And then the other one is the Feast of Sacrifice, commemorating the um, when Abraham actually went to sacrifice either Isaac or Ishmael, and God provided a ram instead. And so you cut the ram into three parts, or the bull, or whatever you're going to use, and you have one part for yourself, one part for your friends, and one part for the poor. And so the goal is that everyone everyone eats, everyone is full, because everyone receive the blessing of the sacrifice. And so that's Eid al-Hada. Okay. Eid al-Hada is the sacrifice and Eid al-Fatir is the breaking of the fast. Something very important that we talked about last week that I, I really, uh, really love is the date in the almond. And the date in the almond in all three Abrahamic religions carry a significance of holiness. And since we're coming up on the Thanksgiving season, I think that for us to um, around our tables and almonds bring significance to the glory of God, to the sacred sacredity or the, 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 uh, the, the precious fruit of God, maybe to just signify it in your own tradition of like the spirit, there's definitely some significant celebration around the date in the almond, the almond being the, the first fruit or the first blossom of the, the season. And, and, uh, I just said Thanksgiving, I meant Christmas. So as we advance forward to Christmas, um, or whatever holiday that you celebrate, um, whether it be winter solstice, Christmas, or you have a continued Thanksgiving um, that you are bringing in family all throughout this this season, that dates would be present. And then there could be some significance pointed to those and a little bit of honoring to all three of the Abrahamic faiths and to be able to talk about that. And if you want to go back to that episode, that's episode two of Other People's Holidays, where we talk about the date in the almond during these, these uh, Eid al-Fatir and also some of the Jewish holidays uh, as well. Dates are present. So just a little foodie thing if we all wanted the food, to. All the foodie things. All the foodie things, right, right. Okay, thank you too for that. I mean, it just gives us a little bit of recap as we move into a different category. And I'm going to explain this different category. It's going to be a um, a little bit of an education, but but 
you know, that you can just look up on your own to just do the deep dive as you're sitting there and you can't sleep one night. You can doom scroll Wikipedia or some web pages and uh, look at the Vedic religions. Um, the Vedic religions are considered like in tra like traditionally those are like the 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 mega religions would be hinduism and buddhism and and the vedic religion actually was a religion in and of itself and it's a historic vedic religion or vedism um it's it would be considered ancient hinduism would be considered an ancient indian type religion uh, it was practiced in northern India in the in that subcontinent, and so in the northwest of the continent. So, so there's a period of time as well. So you have the historic Vedic religion, Vedism, it would be called, but then you have a Vedic period, and this just like we have different periods that that we signify or different eras. So right around 1500 before Common Era. That's what we're talking about. Um, this ancient Vedic religion then forms and shapes some of the major traditions in, well, all the way to modern day Hinduism. Um, so basically, uh, Hinduism is, is different than historic Vedism or the Vedic religion, of course, but there's a lot of I guess development out of out of that era and out of that out of that time. So with just that, and and let's just camp on that. That's the era that we're talking about. That's the time frame that we're we're talking about. And I want to first start with um, Hinduism. And Hinduism, of course, I I don't know if this would make Buddhist people mad. But Buddhism is said to come out of Hinduism. Um, I know that some Buddhists and some of my Buddhist friends would, traditional Buddhists, would take offense to that because they believe that Gautama was the only manifestation of basically a Brahma. But, uh, but basically, Hindus have a trinity as well. And that trinity is, first is Brahma. And Brahma is considered the creator. Uh, the creator is like if you look at a trinity of Hinduism, the creator is in the center. And that creator usually is the largest figure in that trinity. Um, but Brahma is considered like, let's say, the father of the religion, let's just say. Um, Vishnu is the preserver and so Vishnu is another figure in the in the Trinity, and Shiva or Shiva, some people pronounce it, would be the destroyer. So you have the creator, you have the preserver, and you have the destroyer. And basically, all the power of the universe and and all creation of the universe and all the power of people uh, comes from this Trinity. Now you have different manifestations of then the trinity or specifically of vishnu and these manifestations are the different forms or the gods of hinduism that people uh focus on so let me pull up this one note page really quick
the manifestations basically uh, basically are like what what could be considered as like could you say an avatar? So it would be the avatar of the original or the the local divine hero. So so in Hinduism you can adopt uh, a avatar or you can adopt this this manifestation of of Vishnu. Um, the most common manifestations of Vishnu or avatar would be like Krishna. You hire Krishnas where you where you you know you go to Berkeley campus and right at the gates you see or used to see um, people dressed in very light colored garments and they would have different chimes or different bells and such in their hands and that was the celebration of Krishna which is one of the manifestations of uh, of Vishnu. Let me look up one uh, thing in my notes here. So when it says that, or when people say that Buddha is a manifestation of Vishnu, it's the ninth avatar of Vishnu. But the correct language, I guess, is that the Buddha is adopted in and so that's the language that they use is Buddha is adopted in. And there's certain people that would say that that is the final manifestation, like Buddha carried forward this new type of religion. But the, the Buddha is basically adopted in as the ninth. And can you say avatar? I would say avatar, um, the avatar of Vishnu. So you literally have many... Um, avatars or manifestations of Vishnu. And then each manifestation of Vishnu kind of has their own celebration. They have their own type of, of holiday that they, uh, that they celebrate. But Indian people from India, the subcontinent, um, they definitely, they definitely celebrate one holiday that I want to uh, that that I find is absolutely beautiful and amazing, and that is Holi, and and Hindus practice or, or celebrate Holi. It's very popular. It's actually in the United States. If you go to some of the weird places like Portland, you know you'll find all kinds of celebrations here because we celebrate a lot of diversity in some of these larger towns. Um, you'll find Holly celebrations in Seattle, in San Francisco, in LA. And it's celebrated as the Festival of Colors. That's what people know it as. But it's also love and spring. And so the festival is not just about throwing color, like colored chalk all over the place. Um, <laughs> but it's about love and, and, and it celebrates the divine love of Radha and and Krishna. And so those two manifestations, those two deities are celebrated specifically in the celebration of, of Holly. It's specifically, and this is something that, that I learned a couple of years ago, that Holly is truly at its virtue level. Holly is the celebration of good over evil, that good wins, that there's victory 
that that Vishnu has over um, over evil. And I find that quite beautiful that every year they celebrate by just basically throwing color, right, as a form of beauty, throw color that good is triumphant over um, evil. I kind of wish that Christians would do that. It makes me sad that we don't celebrate that Jesus has victory over evil. It's kind of sad that we don't like, we don't uh, celebrate that fact. We celebrate the concept, like maybe that's what Easter is to some people, um, or maybe that's what, you know, their baptism is to some to some people. But we don't necessarily celebrate the virtue of goodness over evil that that uh, that is like in a sacred tradition or anything like that. So before we get into the description of it, uh, do you guys have any questions yet about Holly? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Not, not yet. No, we're good. Okay. I just saw. I just saw movements, and so I thought maybe you had some something to input or or something like that um so so holly is sacred it's a sacred thing it's not something that uh that is you know considered like not religious um it is 100% religious it's 100% uh, sacred. It is celebrated all over the world, particularly, I mean, some of the biggest, of course, celebrations are going to be in India, but it's a celebration um, of Hindus and non-Hindus alike. So non-Hindus can join in. And I think that that's really kind of a, a fun um, opportunity that we have as just people to gather together with other people um, and celebrate good over evil. I think that that's kind of cool but they banter with one another with words they have fun with one another they sing they dance a lot and it's observed by throwing literally color on each other now traditionally it's not the powder i find this interesting it used to be colored water so if you can imagine color and water what that like, like it would just be everywhere at that point but in portland it's a matter of hours before color and water uh mix with with the rain um but it's celebrated um with with you've seen it maybe with colored dust or chalk that's thrown um, but traditionally it's it's right at the uh end of it's the end of winter that it's done and it's celebrated with color of some kind and very bright colors. Um, the bright colors are like the oranges, which are, are very sacred colors in the Vedic faith. So color is not just, hey, that's, you know, <laughs> that's a cool color. Um, the colors are very uh, There's meaning sacred. behind color. Say again? There's meaning behind color. Very meaning. So when red is thrown, that definitely means something. Um, the color is identified with agriculture and spring and harvest and fertility and and relationships and the end of conflict and ridding people from emotional. Like the the Dalai Lama talks about um, talks about the negative emotions. So color is thrown to show the ridding of the emotional impurities from our past, and so we celebrate 
goodness, mm. all these specific goodness, whether it be like a harvest or whether it be an emotional freedom that we're experiencing color is, is very symbolic, uh, I, I would say. Um, but right before Holly, right before Holly, they light bonfires um, and people gather near the bonfires and they sing and dance. Mm. They sing and dance and they sing and dance hard. And then the next day, Holly um, is, is then celebrated. So they actually celebrate before the celebration. So what does that show me about this holiday is they're partying before because they know what's coming, but what is coming to them is more than just celebration. It actually has a tremendous amount of a very uh, emotional meaning um, for them. So they come up with you know powdered solutions or powder, a dry colored like smear uh, powder, and they they literally smear it all over their faces. They smear it all over their bodies. Uh, and, and they celebrate and they mm -hmm. celebrate good over, over evil. They do drink, they do eat, they have very specific foods and, and delicacies that they eat and they drink. Um, many of them, I, I can't even pronounce what they are, but there's a lot of very specific foods that are shared, uh, during Holly. Um, and, and then afterwards, they and this I guess this would be done in the Ganges, maybe um, region or different. But they bathe, and they they actually have clean clothes, and people bring them clean clothes, and then they visit for the rest of the day with their family and friends. And so that is that is Holly. I think that's quite um, it's quite beautiful. Uh, the the metaphor, the meaning, the emotionality of it. And the actual act of it is very symbolic and very, mm -hmm. uh, very neat. Um, so that's Holly, and that's the Hindu, uh, Hindu religion that that I have to share um, specifically before we get into Buddhism. It's lovely. Any thoughts on that? I, I mean, it's every major religion has a spring holiday kind of the coming out mm -hmm. of death yeah. into life, the overcoming of evil into, into freedom uh, for Christianity. That's, that's Easter. And so it just makes sense that, that their, their power over evil, power over death <laughs> is at the same yeah. time period that, that we celebrate Easter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause the very seasons are, moving from darkness to light and mm -hmm. new life is sprouting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is that, there is that, uh, season of harvest, um, mm -hmm. winters over, you know, type of thing. Spring is upon us. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's move into, uh, the Buddhist holidays and, I have pretty much researched that there's about five significant uh, Buddhist holidays <laughs> mm. that are um, that are that are big. Uh, first of all, let me ask first: Is my internet is everything okay tech tech wise? Mm -hmm. 
from your end? Perfect. Okay. I just want to make sure because I'm lagging, but that doesn't mean that I'm lagging um, to you. So I just want to make sure there. All right. So the first one, of course, is the Buddhist New Year. And let me just pick out one specific uh, New Year celebration is the Thai New Year, which is a national holiday. But the Thai New Year, since my children are from Thailand, I just um, want to focus on that for a moment, that it's called Songkran. And Songkran is the Thai New Year national holiday. And it's celebrated in April. Um, and the period of time during that time is is there's a lot of astrological ideas behind it um, that have been mapped and such. Uh, but it keeps with the Buddhist calendar and the Hindu calendar. Um, and the new year takes place around the same time in uh, in South and Southeast uh, Southeast Asia. There's the giving of gifts. There's a lot of like celebration um, every day, uh, really, with um, with Buddhists, you know, with the monks and such. But uh, but Songkran, actually, the meaning of it is movement, and that movement from one position to the other. So moving from previous year to current year. That's what Songkran um, means, and. And so that holiday um, is a transitional new year. And the tradition behind it is very symbolic. Um, they, at the end, they, they, they send up um, uh, lamps or lanterns into the sky. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable to watch some of the things that go on during Songkran. Uh, but they make food. They offer food. Um, to one another, they offer food to the monks, and they offer special foods to uh, the the Buddha. They offer water to the monks. They offer water to each other, and they actually splash each other uh, with water. And this is what I find interesting: uh, is they wash away. They represent basically the uh, the washing of water represents uh, taking away somebody's sin or their bad luck. Hmm. So I find that quite cool. When they wash with water, um, it's kind of like a festival of a festival of washing. Um, So that's the water festival where the streets of of Bangkok and such are closed. Um, You you literally are there for Songkran. They get into water fights, they have arenas. Uh, with water fights, I mean, it's quite it's 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 quite cool uh, to wash, watch, wash, but to watch, and it's actually very symbolic what they do, you know. And it it has some roots in you know water is purifying, and and then that metaphor, mm-hmm. I I see just some crossovers, you know. I'm just kind of just you know playing there a little bit with crossovers into our tradition, but the splashing of water on each other um uh and and if you could imagine right just hosing down a grandma i mean like the like young people literally like hose down the elderly and the elderly just hose down uh the young Mm. people they just splash on everybody and it's very traditional um and it's very old and it's uh i've only seen it and 
and um, witnessed like like the raising of lanterns and such during Songkran um, in Thailand. It is it is celebrated uh, similarly in other places. So, mm. but the Buddhist New Year, the Buddhist New Year for the Theravadas, um, which is, is Thai, is celebrated. Which is Thai, yeah, celebrated um, the full moon in April, the first full moon. And in the Theravada tradition, they party hard, um, really hard. And so full moon parties are just like unbelievable um, in Southeast Asia. So, so the idea of that movement from old year to new year, they celebrate uh, that really, and lots of like with, with, uh, with food, they celebrate it with drink, but they also celebrate it like with the water, like Songkran gets, they get into water fights in the Buddhist new year, they purify and they purify, uh, their homes. They purify, um, you know, their, their, uh, their temples that they have in their homes, they purify. And then they light the lanterns, the lanterns in the end, like on Songkran, and they lift up those float in the air. But the, any lantern that's lit in Buddhist culture is for good luck. Mm. So whether they light candles or whether they light a lantern, um, that, is, that is for good luck. I participated in Buddhist new years uh before of course i've had asian friends buddhist friends for a long time that celebrate it very traditionally i mean i've sat at a table with a full-blown goose just sitting there on a table uh for chinese new year was it cooked? Um, one year i had what was it cooked Oh yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was cooked. <laughs> it was cooked. Um, I have sat at a table with like a mound of humongous mound of crab um, for the Buddhist New Year. I've I've sat at tables that like like the food is just it's just unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And the next holiday for the Buddhists is actually the the most important, which is the first full moon in May. So that, of course, they work off of full moons. They work off of the celestial um, beings. And so uh, the Vesak or the Buddha day or the Buddha, Buddha's birthday um, is said or the Buddha day, the Vesak is Buddha's birth, enlightenment. It celebrates Buddha and the, the basically the enlightenment through the eightfold path. Um, are you, yeah, it's sitting up there I, I can go grab it really quick this is a sandstone figure of a buddhist wheel this is the buddha wheel and this is representation of the, the eightfold path and so that's the dharma that's the that's the practice of buddhism symbolized you know this is just a symbol um, symbolized in that sandstone, uh, but the eightfold path. Uh, when you reach the eightfold, you attain enlightenment, and then Buddha underneath the Bodhi tree, uh, in, uh, uh, gathering enlightenment that that a pride or the lack of humility is the birth of 
all suffering. And so what is given during uh, Buddha's birthday are an immense amount of flowers. I mean, you will see you will see flowers given every day in Buddhist temples. Uh, but on Buddha's birthday, uh, they decorate. And in, in the Thai temple, the main temple in Thailand, it is adorned with flowers. And around the Jade Buddha, they put just this humongous uh, flower wreath around. Yeah. Um, the fourfold, uh, the fourfold assembly day. This is not necessarily a specific, um, like Buddha day. This is actually where a day where uh, twelve hundred monks showed up, basically at the temple where Buddha was staying. They showed up at the same time, and they call this a miraculous Buddha day, where these monks, the actual movement from the monks, um, they they called them the fourfold assembly. And so those that are the monks, those that followed the Buddha, those that came to visit the Buddha, um, all at the same time, that's the fourfold uh, miracle. And so those that are important, like the temple workers, the monks, and those those people are celebrated during that day. Uh, then the next one is Dharma Day. Dharma is a full moon in July, and it commemorates basically Buddha's first sermon, uh, the beginning of the teaching. So we have the, the Dharma is uh, the turning, excuse me, the celebration is the turning of this wheel. So these are big in the temples. They turn this wheel in front of the followers. And that is the Dharma day, the first Buddha uh, sermon. Um, I find that just interesting because I don't remember the first sermon I preached and no one celebrates my first sermon. And I don't want anyone ever to reflect back on my first sermon because it was probably horrific. What did um, I say? The Pavarana, which is the next <laughs> Buddha holiday, the Pavarana, which is a uh, a uh, a uh, ceremony. It's 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 a ceremony day, and this is Buddha's Lent. So this is a Buddhist Lent time, uh, where basically monks and nuns leave the temple and go to re retreats where they take vows of silence and solitary. And I actually participated in one of these once where I went to a Buddhist monastery where the monks had left um, their temples and had come up to these retreats and they were taking these vows of silence and solitude. So this is a time uh, that the leaders, um, they go through this ceremony type time if you go to some of the um if you go to some of the uh the local or uh u.s temples people will make um you call them hajjas in islam but they make uh journeys pilgrimages mm -hmm. you actually would say that for maybe jews or christians they make pilgrimages to these retreat uh, centers. Um, during Pavarana or during just some of these celebrations, but especially Pavarana, and 
I think that Jake and I both have seen some of this in Laos that, that every day monks go out on the streets at like really early in the morning, 6 a.m. and then 6 at night, and they hold out bowls in front and they're called begging bowls. I actually have two of them in my living room, but they're called begging bowls. And people come and they sit in these begging bowls. Well, during these ceremonies, um, during Pavarana, those gifts become like, like big. So that's the time where you give the Buddhist monk, the followers will gift them clothing. The followers will gift them things like a cell phone. They'll give them a cell phone. Uh, to be able to communicate, uh, they'll give them new new bedding, um, whatever mm -hmm. it is. And so when they come back from these retreats, that's when these extravagant—not really extravagant gifts—but but you know, bedding and a cell phone is not necessarily extravagant. But maybe so extravagant for someone that's you know in solitude and in silence. Um, but but the Buddhists will welcome them back to the temple with new things and special gifts um, and fill their bowls. Uh, they'll fill these these begging bowls um, with money. And so alms are given to Buddhist monks. But this is a time during Pavarana, how it's how it's globalized, because not every Buddhist has a, you know, a Buddhist monk you know, living next door. So they'll just give money towards uh, charity during Pavarana. So those are the five uh, Buddhist holidays that I thought were really important. And the one um, Hindu holiday that, that literally almost anyone can participate in, in many, many cities um, around the United States, you can participate in. And then Songkran is the Thai New Year, which is the national holiday. So I, I would say that with those, um, that does not even cover a fraction of, of the holidays. Because I think probably the Vedics, the, um, the Hindus and the Buddhists, they celebrate a lot. And they, they celebrate in little ways and in big ways. Um, but their, their religion, I would say, is, is a daily practice, just like a Islamic follower, a Muslim follower would pray okay. five times a day and have a mat every day. Mm -hmm. A Hindu person or a Buddhist person is much the same, especially in traditional countries. They go to the temple every day. They walk by monks and by uh, little temples and they give money and they give things on a very regular basis. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a, Hey, we showed up on Sunday. Um, it is a seven day a week type event for some of the, some of these people. So their celebrations um, are very integrated in their lunar months. And just every month is just something, something new kind of reminds me of the catholics with saints and how they emphasize a different saint every month i would say that this is very similar as they they're either celebrating the tradition the culture or or a manifestation avatar of vishnu it's great thank you <laughs> that was a lot it's a lot there <laughs> 
Trying to Does anyone have any thoughts or additions to that? I I don't think whenever I was in Buddhist countries that I saw many holidays um, beyond like the traditional just begging times of monks and but a mm. lot of a lot of their festivals I believe are in spring and in late fall if I well some of them are November December too so. Yeah. And so their their growing season is a little different. So their harvest is is at a different time than what what we would traditionally like for our own harvest. Um, mm-hmm. But if you if you were ever to travel Asian countries, Buddhist countries, I think what I have taken away the most is the the generosity that they have. And so a lot of their holidays are focused around around giving and generosity mm. um, because that's that's who they are. Yeah. They also give a lot of gifts. And like in Korea, you have, when you go and visit somebody in a home, and really all over Asia, right? Specifically, you wrap a gift. I think it's in blue and gold, if I'm not mistaken. I know blue is in there. You actually wrap the gift in a certain color to show honor. And and it, it can't be expensive either, especially in Korea. Yeah. If it's expensive, then that shows that that sure. person ha- has to match that gift. You know, it's like, I can't match this gift. If you gave me chocolate, then I can match chocolate, but I can't match the gift. So, uh, so it's very interesting that in that exchange of gifts, even coming over to the house, if you're invited to somebody's home in Asia, number one, you take off your shoes and this for overall cleanliness, right? Um, but then always always bring a gift. And that's one thing that I learned in with, with my children's uh, foster families and with all of her workers and all the people that were around her during her, their adoptions, um, both of them, that you just gave gifts. That's what you, that's what you do. So Chinese New Year, they actually take gifts. It's a 15-day celebration. Chinese New Year is like long. It's not just this, you know, hey, one day we got smashed and <laughs> brought in the New York New Year or whatever at nine o'clock. But uh, but it is 15 full days. And for those 15 days, they give, they wrap gifts and like special wrapping like, and all it's these It's like Christianity's traditional Christmas tide. Right, right, yeah. And some people travel, like some Asian cultures actually travel make those journeys to other maybe homeland countries and such to to celebrate and so these celebrations are not are not small at all and they're they're traditionally um they're traditionally steeped in with food and with uh with all kinds of things um in our research did did anyone find anything about uh, Native American um, celebrations. Was there any Native American holidays that we could? Did we look at that at all? Did I just uh, jump down a rabbit hole that we didn't you, do? You jumped a rabbit hole that we yeah. did not. All right. We did. All right. Thank you. One that we went down to. 
What'd you say? Yule. Yes. Yeah, yes. I looked that up. Um, yeah, okay. Go ahead. What's Yule, Shreya? What Other is people Yule? Because we sing that during okay. Christmas. Isn't there something about Yule and Christmas time? Yeah, Yuletide. Um, so Yule is um, considered a pagan holiday. Um, although it's also been adopted by Wiccans, which are sometimes pagan and sometimes not. Right. Um, but it comes from mostly Northern Europe and um, Germanic peoples. Mm -hmm. So very European. Yule celebrates the winter solstice, which is the longest night and the shortest day. So it's symbolic of beginnings, rebirth, rest, and gratitude, looking forward to brighter days and the triumph of light over darkness. So mm -hmm. similar to Holly in that way. Um, religiously, it um, celebrates the divine birth. So as part of the, the wheel of the year in pagan holidays, there's a god who dies on Samhain, which is what we call Halloween, um, and is then reborn by the goddess on Yule. And this god's power grows hey, as the days Halloween get again. I, I've, I've heard I've heard Samhain. Is is what it looks like when it's spelled, yeah, but it's like an Irish word and it's pronounced Samhain. Samhain, okay. So some of the ways Yule is celebrated is with a Yule log. Um, and this log is decorated with evergreen boughs, with candles, with pine cones, berries, and gifts that people wanted to receive from the gods or something that is representative of what you wanted to receive. Mm -hmm. So the logs brought into the home for a few weeks leading up to the solstice. And then on the solstice, part of the log is burned. And this is done every night for 12 nights until the log is entirely consumed. So that's also similar to our 12 days of Christmas. Mm. Um, so the caramel and the nuts around the caramel log. Yeah. It's the Christmas log. log. Is mm -hmm. this what we're talking about? The Yule log? Basically, yeah. we I, I appropriated that into our yes. Christmas candy. Uh -huh. Well, I think even even Yule we have we've completely appropriated into Christianity. Mm -hmm. Yep, decorating with evergreen boughs because they're evergreen. They celebrate rebirth, rebirth and renewal. Um, making gingerbread or making wassail, which is a mold cider. Right, um, right. Yeah. It's a toast to good health. It was common to pass around the same cup as well as to pour some out to the earth. Um, and then it's just considered a time of reflection. So it being the longest night of the year, that's an invitation to turn inward, to reflect on the year, the lessons learned, um, and to set goals or intentions. Did you just say that the green boughs mm -hmm. that we hang mm -hmm. during Christmas time, that's a Yule thing? Yeah. Yep. Mistletoe is a Yule thing. Shut mm -hmm. the door. Come on. Yep. You just wrecked my Christmas. Cider. You're yep. wrecking my Christmas. Yes. So Basically cider, everything. hot cider, wassail. What else did you just say? Uh, making gingerbread. And I'll I don't... never eat gingerbread the same. 
I always thought that those I thought those snowmen gingerbread. Oh man! And it gingerbread I believe, cookies. Then, I mean, mm-hmm. even our even our Christmas tree comes out of comes out yep. of Yule. You know, this is a lesson for me again. Now that you just wrecked my Christmas, wrecked it. Um, just wrecked it. And we're gonna wreck the Bible here coming up next week. But, but now that you wrecked my Christmas with you know taking away my bows and gingerbread um it just goes to show that that appropriating other people's things just shows me that we don't really many times give honor to other people's things we just Mm -hmm. take other people's things because maybe we don't have our thing versus just giving honor or participating alongside that person's things i think that's the important lesson that i've learned in other people's holidays is is let them have your thing let them have their thing and join in where you can just because you don't have a thing doesn't mean you got to go take somebody else's thing or adopt it into yours and call it your own this is why it's really important i think when we look at other people's holidays that we just give honor to them we participate we learn from them we eat their food we give them gifts as they give us gifts. We participate in what they want us to participate Mm -hmm. in, eat more of the food, um, drink more of the drink. And when they allow like Holly, they, they say that's for Hindus and non-Hindus alike. So welcome all people. It's a unity thing. And so, so participating in ways that you're invited in, um, we do have in the United States um, some heritage months, and I know that these are not necessarily holidays, but they are heritage months where we give honor to people groups. Um, and I think that it's very important to participate or to celebrate alongside um, uh, uh, the, the different people groups that are being celebrated. So whether it be a Native American Heritage Month, or whether it be uh, whether it be Latino Hispanic Heritage Month, or whether it be Black History Heritage Month, we look at those times in our calendars, and we participate, show up, um, and celebrate alongside the people, the diverse uh, people that are all around us. Um, and if a holiday comes and we can participate or allowed to participate, we can come alongside those things as well, um, which is really important. Whether we be invited into a Passover, uh, whether we invited into the Festival of Booths and to have dinner, whether we get invited into Idol Fatir and have a, the breaking of Ramadan, the fast, and we are allowed into that celebration. Uh, I don't know too many people that would celebrate Yule, um, the Yule groups besides. We celebrate Yule. Well, I mean. Yeah, it's, well, it's, and the tricky thing is you blend in. Form. What? If you do celebrate Yule, you blend in. Well, I know, but like like to actually sit with somebody that I, I do know somebody down in, in Southern Oregon now that celebrated. Actually, I, I do know somebody that celebrates uh, winter solstice and Yule and, and they, they get into that because they're not 
Christian and they celebrate that, although they're probably, I don't know if they're from that, you know, background or whatever, but, <clears throat> but they do celebrate that. Maybe I can ask her to invite me um, down, my family down for, you know, the Yule log uh, ceremony. But anyway, I, I just think that it's really important to, to give an uh, acknowledgement and to pay attention. This has just been a lesson for me to pay attention to what is happening around us because not everybody is, uh, you know, at Christmas time on the 25th of December celebrating a traditional Christmas time. They might mm -hmm. celebrate Christmas and have people over and have a dinner, but they're not celebrating for the same reasons. They have other holidays that they celebrate and to pay attention to what they celebrate and participate in those as well. All right. Any other thoughts? I think we're good. Thank you. That was a fun little okay. session we had. Thanks both of you for um, this mini series. I learned a lot with um, Jewish holidays, Islamic holidays, and Vedic holidays, and I hope that everyone did too. And next week we are ruining the Bible with walking through the Old Testament and a few New Testament books, and we're looking at different perspectives that are different than your flannel graph Sunday school version of the Bible, which could feel threatening, which could feel like, you know, maybe somebody's moving your cheese when it comes to the Bible. And so we're going to walk through those, but I, I, I hope and I think that we are mature enough to look at different perspectives of the Bible, and we're going to make it, even if we get a little disillusion about maybe David or Revelation. So I think that we can make it through that series. That's going to be for six weeks. That's going to take us into the middle of January, and then we'll continue on Thursday nights with this podcast. All right, Shreya, Jacob, thank you for joining us. And with that, good night, everybody.